welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 2nd of January 2011, entitled, In Remembrance of Christ, His Blood, and the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 32. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Father, we thank you again for this time that we have together. We thank you, Lord, for your word that we have before us. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit that will give us understanding. And we pray, Lord, as we commit this time into your hands, Lord, you know the hearts of each individual that is here. And Lord, as we come during this special time to come around the table of remembrance, we pray, Lord, that our hearts and minds would be focused on him whom we are remembering here today, Father, take away any distractions. Lord, as we have just read these words, we pray that if there is anything in our lives, Lord, Lord, that would hinder us, that is separating us from that fellowship that we ought to be having. Lord, if there is any sin present that has not been dealt with, we pray that we would be, Lord, mindful of it and that, Lord, as you show it to us, Lord, that we would be willing to, to deal with it, that it would be put under the blood, the only place that it can be cleansed. Of course, in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Of course, a very familiar passage of Scripture. The times that we come around the Lord's table, but if you'll recall at our last time of coming around the table, made the statement that sometimes if we're not careful, things can become too familiar. They can become so familiar that we fail to truly focus on what it is that it should be meaning. We ask a couple of questions. As we looked last time and focused upon verse 24 and God willing today on verse 25, our thoughts simply in remembrance of Christ. The last time we looked in remembrance of Christ, his body Today, God willing, as we look to Scripture, we'll be looking in remembrance of Christ, His blood. Who was it 
that instituted what we refer to as the Lord's table. It was our Lord himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us right there in verse 23 that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he was the one that took the bread. He was the one that gave thanks that break it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. When did he do it? The same night in which he was betrayed. Why did he do it? Well, we looked at a number of things. He gave us this command, this do, he said in verse 24. In verse 25, this do ye. He has commanded us to do this. For what purpose? In remembrance of him. We find that he knows our minds. He knows how easily distracted we are. We looked at some of the illustrations of things that we have that remind us. I told you that, you know, my dad has been gone from this world for many years. His photo still hangs on the wall in our living room. That's not him, but when I look at that, it puts me in remembrance of him, the real him. And it brings back the memories of all kinds of things. And, of course, Jesus wanted to direct our attention back to two specific things here, his body and his blood. As we looked at his body, we looked at a number of things that we should remember about his body. That it was, as we remember his body, it was his body that became flesh. His body that is the bread of life. His body that beat sins, temptations. His body that bore our sins. His body that became sin for us. His body that bestows righteousness in us. His body that brings us justified before a holy God. His body that was broken for us. But as we remember those things, and as we direct our attention today to the next verse here in verse 25, he says, after the same manner also, just as we looked at with the bread, after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. It's a command, the same command that we've already looked at, this do. This is something that Christ has commanded us, his followers, to do. We find that he tells us that as we do this, he says that this cup that he is commanding us to take, he says that this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Back in the Gospel of John chapter 6, notice what the Word of God says here in verse 53 and 54. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath 
eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, I remind you, and I will not dwell there today, that there is absolutely no biblical basis for believing that this bread and this cup before us turns into the literal body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what we do here today is symbolic of something that is absolutely vital and necessary if we're to have eternal life according to these verses. It's not this bread that we eat here, but it's this bread that we are remembering, the bread of life that we must have. It is not this cup that will take away your sin, but the blood that it is symbolic of is the only thing that will take away your sin. In remembrance of Christ, his blood, what does he want us to remember about his blood? Well, I just want to give you three things today. There's many others that we could find in Scripture. But I want to give you three things today. First of all, in remembrance of Christ, his blood, that restores life through remission. Back in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, the Bible says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. The sanctity of life we talk about so many times. Well, folks, the sanctity of the blood is what is being talked about here. And it is shown here. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And, of course, if you were to read the following verses there in Leviticus chapter 17, you would find then following the prohibition that is given to man about eating the blood of any animal. Now keep that in mind. The life of the flesh is in the blood. But of course, unfortunately, back in the Garden of Eden, sin entered in there in the garden. And when sin entered in, that life was forfeited because of sin, by sin. Why? Because the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. The Bible tells us that when sin entered in, death came with it. We've looked at many things and many different topics. You can't have something dead and alive at the same time. It's either dead or it's living. The life is in the blood. There in the garden, that blood was tainted. Man's blood was literally contaminated by sin and as a result, brought death. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 We'll look at that chapter again in a moment. But there in verse 22, there's that simple thought that says, without shedding of blood is no remission. Without shedding of blood is no remission. What's that talking about? What is remission? What does remission mean? We use it in our terminology in different ways many times. 
Maybe when somebody has a deadly disease like cancer that is spreading through their body and then they go into remission, it's no longer spreading. Well, do you know that remission is the exact same word in the original text that is also translated many places in your Bible as forgiveness? Forgiveness and remission are the same thing. What does it literally mean? It means a dismissal of something. It means to be released. It means to send something away. Of course, that is a fundamental meaning of forgiveness. The dismissal of sin, the releasing from sin, the sending away of sin. In other words, remission and forgiveness is separating the sin from the sinner. Now, look at what Jesus said when he was instituting the Lord's Supper back in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28. Again, he said, for this is my blood of the New Testament. And then he says, which is shed for many for the remission of of sins. Why was the blood of Jesus Christ shed? For the remission of sins. So the life of the flesh is in the blood. But through sin, man forfeited that life eternal as it was meant to be. We see that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness. In other words, without the shedding of blood, there is no way that a man can ever be separated from his sin. And because of his sin, his blood is tainted, and he forfeits the life that is there because of the consequences of that sin being death. All blood and every living thing on this earth was tainted by original sin. Therefore, there is no blood anywhere. It couldn't be found in any animal or in any human being that was sufficient for a sacrifice. Without shedding of blood, there's no remission. Forgiveness can't come without the shedding of blood, and yet all of our blood is tainted by sin. But Jesus said, as we drink of this cup, as we remember his blood, that it was his blood that was shed for many for the remission of sins. He shed his blood that the sinner might be separated from his sin and not have to suffer the consequences of death. You look in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Divine forgiveness, forgiveness from God, always follows the execution of the penalty. Always. In Leviticus 4.35, it says, The priest shall make an atonement for his sin that he hath committed, and it shall be forgiven him. The atonement had to be made in order for the sin to be forgiven. The atonement had to be made in order for that sin to be separated from the sinner. 
Forgiveness couldn't take place without the atonement in order for the sin to be dismissed or our sin to be sent away, for us to be released from that sin. The penalty had to be paid. And it had to be paid once for all. It had to be paid eternally. Only then could the sin in our blood be overcome in order for that life to be an eternal life again. For death not to be waiting. The life that is in our sin-tainted blood is now only a, a temporal life on this earth. And for each and every, have you ever known anybody? Anybody ever known anybody that was 200 years old, 300 years old? Eventually, death catches all of us because of sin, folks, because sin is there in every human being. Sin destroys life. Sin separates us from the Father. Sin takes away that life eternal. And those sins must be remitted. They must be forgiven. They must be taken away if we're to share in that everlasting life. You see, Jesus Christ, he shed his sinless blood for that very reason. He said that he did it for the remission of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. No other blood was ever sufficient. But as we take of the cup today, we remember him. We remember his blood that he shed for the remission of sin. If that sin and its consequences are to be dealt with, it can only happen when a person comes to see and recognize their sin, upon confession of that sin, upon remission that is sought solely, totally, completely on the basis of that propitiatory sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only sacrifice that was sufficient to meet the requirements of our holy God. Certainly a Another familiar passage we find in 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, it says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We find that we have to confess our sinful state. When we come around the Lord's table today, we drink of this cup in remembrance of Christ, his blood that restores life through the remission of sins. That's the only way that that spiritual life can be restored is by the sins being remitted. He said that we're to drink it as symbolizing his blood that was shed for that remission of our sins. His blood had no contamination to it. He had no earthly father that passed that sin on to him as the rest of us do. We've just come through the Christmas time, and one of the great truths that we've looked at is the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ was conceived of the Holy Ghost. Because he was the Son of God, he was the only sufficient sacrifice for our sins. Only on the grounds of his sacrifice can we be separated from our sin and know everlasting life. As we drink this cup today, may it not be just some ritualistic thing that we do without being conscious and thinking. He gave it to us. He's the one that told us as we take of this bread to remember him, his body that was broken for us. He said when we take of this cup to remember him, his blood that was shed for our sins, his blood that restores life through the remission of sins. Secondly, his blood that reconciles through the atonement. Back to that verse in Leviticus 17 again, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar, what? To make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. You see, not only did we forfeit life because of sin that then requires remission of that sin in order to once again restore the life that can only be ours through Christ, but that same sin, it separates us from God. It separates us from fellowship with God. The Bible says it alienates us. Matter of fact, the Bible says that it makes us his enemy. And there aren't a lot of people. I know we live in a pretty wicked world, but even most of the unbelievers aren't going around saying, I want to be an enemy of God. But we are with him or we're against him. We're alienated from him because of our sin. You see, we need, to be reconciled to God. We need to be at one 
with God. This word often appears in Scripture when speaking of blood and forgiveness. And it's that word atonement. Atonement. Matter of fact, many people remember it. One of those early things is at one moment, being made at one with God. There's actually two words in your Bible that are translated atonement. One means to cover, to cancel something completely. The other means to exchange or reconciliation. Simply put, well, according to the words and the scriptures and what they teach us, it's the covering over of sin, the reconciliation between God and man that is accomplished by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way. As sinners, as enemies of God, that's the only way we can be reconciled to our maker. It's the only way that we can be at one with him is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that result of his sacrificial suffering and dying and shedding his blood that all we can do is from the heart show true penitence and faith. We can only receive the forgiveness of our sins. We can only receive that remission that he offers. In order to obtain peace, in order to be reconciled, in order to be made at one with God. Beautiful passage in Hebrews chapter 9. Notice, picking up in verse 22, he says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Listen, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. You see, the atonement is not something that is going to happen. The atonement is a completed fact. Jesus Christ did it, accomplished it once for all, and it was done, and it was finished. You look back into the 
book of Acts chapter 4. Notice what it says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Word of God says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Folks, we're not trying to be narrow-minded for the sake of being narrow-minded. We're not trying to be unkind and unloving. The simple truth is Jesus is the one that said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. It's God's Word that says, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other way except for the atonement that was made by Jesus Christ himself. There is no other way for man to be saved from his sin. Certainly, one of the most familiar passages of Scripture in the Bible in John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must, the Bible says, the Son of Man be lifted up. There's no other choice. The Son of Man must be lifted up. What? That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There was no other way except that Jesus Christ himself die and shed his blood upon that cross. There was no other way for us to have the privilege, the opportunity to be able to believe and have eternal life. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, it's hard for us to grasp the atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ and all the pain and agony and horror that went with that. It shows us the wrath of God. But at the same time, to show us the love of God towards sinners, that he would accomplish that, that he loved you enough that he was willing to send his son to do what he did to atone for your sins. The last book of your Bible in Revelation chapter 13, the Bible talks about all one day. Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life, one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. The non-believers, one day, will bow down and worship him. But notice the next words. In the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. 
Now, if you're smart enough to get your head and your mind around that, then I'll be the first to commend you. You see, this atonement that we're talking about, this redemption that we're talking about, it wasn't something that just occurred to God one day that, uh-oh, those folks have messed up and I better do something to try to help them or straighten them out. The plan was from the foundation. The truth is, it was always in God's plan to offer a means of redemption. God knew our weakness. God knew that we would fall. And God planned a means to be able to be redeemed, to be put back at one with him. One writer said, God knew that man would fall, but he made it possible for him to fall into the arms of divine mercy. He loved, he cared that much. It wasn't just left to chance that you would have an opportunity. Back again into the book of Hebrews once again. In Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 2, notice what the Word of God says in verse 9. It says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. By the grace of God, that he should taste death for every man. Keep that in mind. Look back a few pages in your Bible to the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 16, one of the places recording in the, in the New Testament, of course, what we call the Great Commission. He said in verse 15, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are commanded to give the gospel to every creature. You see, there's not a one of you here that is a super enough Christian that are so spiritual, that are so good at what you do for God, Though you may have been working at it all your life, there's not a one of you that can ever save even one soul. But every one of us, we have a responsibility. We can either obey or disobey to give the gospel to every creature because they have no hope if they don't hear it. There is no other way for them. God could have written it on the skies. He could have let the birds sing and he could have done it any way that he wanted to. But time and time and time again, he gives us that responsibility to take that message of the gospel to every creature. Why is it so important? 
Verse 16 says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. There's no other options. There's no other routes. There's no other way to go. Without the truth, without the truth to believe, we could look at, in, in Romans, Paul makes it so clear. How can they hear without a preacher? How can they hear? Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. We need to get them that message. You see, the Bible says Christ tasted death for every man. There's no shortage in the sacrifice. But that doesn't mean there's some kind of blanket salvation out there that everybody's going to go to heaven one day. Somehow, no matter what happens, it's all going to work out in the end and we're going to all end up in heaven. He tasted death for every man. It wasn't his sacrifice that was short in any way. But the atonement is only to them that believe. And it avails absolutely nothing to the unbeliever. Just because Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood and tasted death for every man, it will not accomplish anything in an unbeliever. We find that as we come around this table today and as we remember Christ, We remember him. Yes, in the body that was broken. But we remember him and his blood. His blood, the only thing that can restore life through remission of our sins. His blood, the only thing that can reconcile an ungodly lost sinner through the atonement to reconcile him to his creator, to his God, to his Father. That blood. As you take of that cup today, you see, that cup is not for you to make this happen. This cup is for those whereby it has already happened that we can remember just what his blood means to us. His blood. That thirdly, his blood that ratifies the new covenant. Back where we started in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 11, after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Do you know that the cup is always spoken of in Scripture as the New Testament in my blood or as the blood of the New Testament. Testament, covenant, all the same word. What is the New Testament? What is the new covenant that is spoken of here in conjunction with the blood? In drinking of the cup, Jesus Christ is specifically pointing us to the new covenant. Now, covenants are not something that are uncommon in Scripture. If, if you've read your Bible very much, we read throughout the Old Testament, we find a, a number of different covenants that God made with his people. 
But when you get to the New Testament, all covenants ever made are divided into two and two only, the old one and the new one. That's it. The new, the new covenant, the one that is brought in and established by Jesus Christ, by his blood for his church, for the old one. Still there for our benefit, and certainly there are certain aspects of it that are still to be fulfilled for the nation of Israel, but it ceased to exist in its outward institutions, in its ritualistic services. It's regarded as the old because its full and formal ratification took place before the other. It was the old covenant that God had made. But the new covenant, you see, it didn't begin in the New Testament. Matter of fact, it existed right from the beginning, at least in its germ form. God had already planned it from the foundation. We get glimpses of it. We see him exhibiting a bit here and a bit there. Progressively as we go through Scripture, we go right back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God's promise of recovery right there at the fall of man in the garden. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 9 again. Let's back up just a few verses before to verse 11. It says, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood, for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry and almost all things. 
or by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Now remember, it was therefore necessary that we read before that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. There had to be something better than the old one. There had to be something more, for Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hand, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Folks, the new covenant is a covenant of grace. Grace is what God may be free to do and what he does do for the lost after Christ has died on their behalf, after Christ has paid the penalty, after Christ has stood in our stead. We often refer to the age that we live in as the dispensation of grace. We find that if you look back into, again, an extremely familiar passage in Ephesians chapter 2, and I'd like to read to you, first of all, there from verses 4 and 5. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace, you are saved. But God who is rich in mercy, what is he saying here? You see, mercy is talking about he's rich in mercy, that compassion of God that he had in order to provide a Savior for us. God cared enough. If God could have saved us on the grounds of anything else, there would have been no need for Jesus Christ to die and shed his blood. Without the mercy of God, you rest assured he would never have sent his son to be put through what he was put through. But he was rich in mercy. Rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. You see, the very motivating plan behind all that God does in saving a soul is his love. For God so loved. Since God is holy and God is righteous and we, we don't know anything else like that, it's hard for us to comprehend just what an offense that even one sin is to a holy God. His love, His mercy, it cannot operate in grace until sufficient satisfaction for the sin is provided because He's just as much a just God. The satisfaction for sin is what makes it possible for God to exercise his grace. Christ is the only satisfaction. And that rules out 
all human merit. He rules out any credit that we can take. Act is, it's God's mercy and God's love that moved him to send his son so that he could show us grace because his son came and sufficiently paid the penalty. He made the atonement. Our sins are remitted on the basis of his blood. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Faith. You've heard me so, it's, I, know, I don't want to oversimplify. Faith is the only route to God's grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. You can't get to God's grace any other way than through faith. It's the only avenue. It's the only way. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in his finished work. Faith in his shed blood. Faith in what he did. Not what we can do and not what we won't do. But faith in him. You see, thank God it's by grace. Because it's that same grace that provides for our salvation. If we could take credit for doing it, then surely we could undo it. But God does it. That's why we can believe and know that despite all of our imperfections, that he which hath begun a good work in you will complete it to the end. We can have confidence, absolute confidence of knowing that if we're truly saved by God's grace, then we're saved eternally. We can't undo what he has done. God perfects forever the one that's saved in God's sight because he is then in Christ. In Christ. And that's where he sees you. In him. So many passages that we could look at, but... We don't have time to comment on, but let me just read a couple of things to you as we come to a close. In Romans chapter 5, in verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, For in him, in Christ, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. In Romans chapter 6, and in verse 14, 
The Bible says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. In Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law of sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Whereas by one man's disobedience many are made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto life and to eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, it's the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ that ratifies the New Testament. Without it, we wouldn't have the new covenant. We couldn't have God's grace were it not for the shed blood of the Lord Jesus grace. Through the blood of Christ, we can have life restored that is forfeited through sin because his blood was shed for the remission of those sins. Through the blood of Christ, we can be reconciled to God because his blood has made atonement for our soul. Through the blood of Christ, we can experience God's grace now and forever because the blood of Jesus Christ is what has ratified the New Testament, the new covenant of grace that God has made with his church. So no more under the law, but under grace. Folks, that's not all the blood does. But today, as we come around the table, may it not be just some ritualistic thing. But may we remember him. Just what it is that we're remembering that his blood has accomplished for us. These are just a few tidbits. But we have no hope without it. Without the blood, we have nothing. We find that we've already read the Bible that it gives pure and clear warning to examine yourselves. I don't know any of your hearts this morning. We're about to receive of this bread and this cup. As we do so, 
The Bible says, let a man examine himself. First of all, this table is not for anyone that has not truly been born again. It's not to make you a Christian. It's for the Christians to come together in unity around this table. Also, it's not for any Christian that is allowing sin to be present in your life and not be dealt with. This is not going to take away the sin. We're making a mockery of the table. We're allowing things. And, of course, Jesus or God gave us clear warning there in 1 Corinthians 11. He wants us to judge ourselves so that we're not judged with the world. He wants us to be honest with ourselves. Look at our own heart. Is there something there that's truly breaking the unity? Because this fellowship cannot be real. By the same token, folks, if there's sin there that you're not dealing with, then don't take of it. That's not what God really wants. What God really wants right now is for you to look at it, and if there's something there, He wants you to deal with it. He wants the fellowship with you. We find that you should be walking in obedience to God, to His Word. Now, some churches practice open communion, and they say, Anybody that loves the Lord can come. We don't do that here, and that's between them and God. We believe that, first of all and foremost, it's for the local body to come around the table together. But we do invite guests. If you're a church of like precious faith as we are, that's not because we say that we're better than you. The truth is we can't come in unity with each other and with the Lord if we're not in agreement on our faith. So if you're of a sister church of like faith, you would like to join with us today, then we invite you to do so. And if not, we invite you still in the quietness of these moments. We love you just as much to remember our Lord as we take of this bread and this cup. And even if you feel that you cannot take in oneness with us, then we still accept you as our brother and sister in Christ, and we ask you to focus upon him because it's not the bread or the cup that's going to accomplish anything for you. Father, as we come to you once again today, Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, I know that even though that I've taken long in doing so, I've rushed through so much, Lord, your blood is so precious to us. As we come today, this first Sunday of the new year, as we come around the Lord's table, Lord, as we remember you, your body that was broken for us, your blood that was shed for our sins. Father, we pray today that it might be a time because our hearts and mind are focused, Lord, you know the hearts of those that are here. There are those here that have never truly been saved, and I pray, Lord, that it might be a witness and a testimony to them of where our faith lies. Lord, for your children that are here today, I pray, Lord, that each one right now would just be honest. Lord, if there's something in their life that needs to be dealt with, help them, Lord, to do so, so that they can take of this bread and this cup and know the nearness and the sweetness of your fellowship. Father, we pray that you would search hearts as only you can, that you would bless our time. Not only would you be glorified and honored by what we do, but, Father, that it might be a time of sweet, sweet communion with each other, and with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.